0: This episode of Reality Escape Pod is brought to you by Morty, the World Escape Room Championship, Buzzshot and Patreon supporters like you. Buzzshot is customer satisfaction software for your escape room business. They offer an assortment of pre and post game features including robust waiver management, branded team photos and streamlined review management for Yelp, TripAdvisor, Google reviews, Morty and more.
1: Seth Wolfson from Hourglass Escapes in Seattle has this to say about Buzzshot. Hourglass Escapes in Seattle has been using Telescape by Buzzshot for years. For an even longer time, owners have been recommending Buzzshot to help streamline marketing and other aspects of our operations. I wish I'd booked a demo sooner. Buzzshot's system and photo processing helps us keep everything on brand with the highest standards of product and customer support.
0: Streamline your marketing and grow your business at buzzshot.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D. When booking your free trial to get 20% off your first three months. Details in the show notes. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Each episode this season, we will be interviewing creators from different countries. Today's guests are from Sydney, Australia. We're joined by Leanne Young and Aaron Hooper, the creators of Next Level Escape. They are well known for designing games around creative mechanics and delivered a fantastic talk on this subject at Recon 2021. Welcome, Leanne and Aaron. Hello. Thanks for having Hi us. Guys. We are very excited to have you here. And we're just
2: starting off at the top here. What is the Next Level origin story? Ah, so I used to be an economist and I hated that. So (laughs) basically when I quit my job, did a bit of traveling, played like one escape room and was like, hell, I can do better than this. And seven to eight years later, this is where we are.
3: (laughs) So I used to be a business analyst, like doing IT and all that kind of stuff. And I actually started reviewing escape rooms with a friend. We'd done a few before, and then we played one or two during our stopover. in. I think it was Stockholm or something like that and so we're just like you know what let's just start a blog and this was again like seven eight years ago so at the time Aaron and this other guy were like do you want to come and play one of the escape rooms that we've created it was a short 15 minute game at the time my friend and I went to play and things just went from there. I already quit my job because I also hated what I was doing at the time (laughs) and things just worked out. It was just me and Aaron and we ended up building up the business from there. Again, seven, eight years later, here we are. How did you guys make the jump from reviewer and creator to
1: suddenly working together?
2: It wasn't as easy as uh, like just jumping straight into it. It never is. (laughs) (laughs) So initially, like, My role was to basically build the stuff, but then when Leanne came on, she definitely brought a much more um, narrative sort of focus to everything. So our rooms have evolved as we've started working together more. We started off with a little bit more of a uh, classic escape room almost with maybe one or two twists. And then Leanne being a writer on the side, also like just basically shoved the writing into the escape room a bit. Now we've got some very narrative heavy escape room. Yeah, it's actually been quite good. It worked out really well.
1: I assume she gave you a good review. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, I think so. I hope so. Like it's, it was a very good review. Uh, it was okay, was it? <laughs> it was like the most amazing thing ever, obviously. It was a unique
0: <laughs> room, I'll give it yeah, that. <laughs> good enough to get you to quit your job. <laughs>
2: yeah. I guess we were yep. very persuasive.
3: So for a little context, what year was this?
2: Ooh, I think it would have been about 2016.
3: Yeah, 2016, I think, was really when it started... I think I came by in like June, July and then started really working in August because that was when the first room was being built at the time. So it was just, yeah, getting through all of that. The other thing about how we got there, I would say is you learn a lot with every room you build. So you just look back at the last room you built, especially after watching a lot of people play through and you're like oh, this was not a good decision. Why did we think this was a good idea? And some things, yes, you're going to be able to change. You're going to tweak. You're going to change the puzzles, take it out. Other things, it's just like, it's so fundamental that we might as well rip it apart if we were going to do that. And so you're just like, okay, for the next game, I'm going to implement this design idea, that design idea, whatever, to make things run more smoothly, how you signpost, how you flow the room, all of that. Like, I think with each room, the more you see people go through and you're like, oh, okay, well, lesson learned.
1: Aaron, you said that part of the inspiration for you wanting to get into designing rooms was that you played a couple and you were like, I could do better than that. And I'm curious, what was it that you really pinpointed out as being the main problem that you were like, oh, if only they had done this thing better and that's what I can improve upon?
2: Yeah, a little bit more background. I used to do a little bit of electronics like uh, that, sort of was my hobby at the time as well, so that was in the background of my mind. Um, and I played a room, uh, it was in Sydney, and uh, there were a few technical issues in the room that I thought, yeah, this kind of ruined the experience a little bit. So I identified a few things that I just didn't like about the experience. One being the fact that the tech was unreliable, the fact that the reset wasn't as good. And the main one for Next Level, I think we started off with, we implemented a voice of God system straight away. The way you deliver hints and interactions, I thought was severely lacking in the industry at the time. So the Next Level was basically just, taken on that and we've actually gone full pelt and, and even have some interactions with the GM in our newsroom. room.
1: So I noticed when I was emailing with you guys about coming on to the podcast that in your email addresses, you go by the doctor and the alchemist. So I'm wondering what's the backstory behind those monikers?
2: Um, so <laughs> when we started, we thought, you know, we just left our corporate jobs and we're like, we want to be a little bit different and at the time i was like a bit of a doctor who fan i guess but also the idea that i build and fix all the puzzles kind of made sense so i was like the doctor seems good yeah and leanne's
3: Yeah, I went with the alchemist because I'm just like, it feels like you're trying to synthesize 10 different things to get a room to really flow properly between all the puzzles, the narrative, everything, the GMs, how they run it. And I was just like, you know what? When it works right, that's alchemy. You get it. And so I went with that. One of our managers, he decided to go with the paladin, and I think he vaguely regrets it right now when he's emailing corporate people, and he's like, yes, just send it to the Paladin at Next Level Escape.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in retrospect, it may not have been the best choice when dealing with corporates, but uh, we're stuck now. We can't really change that. Let's talk about game mechanics. Last year, you delivered
0: a fantastic talk at Recon, which we'll link to in the show notes, and we're not going to rehash it in this episode. Your talk was about playing with the escape room format, and getting creative with the structure and goals of your games. How do you decide when to push boundaries and when to pull back and steer closer to expectations?
3: One of our games, we very originally titled it The Game, just because in some, I don't know, I think it was like build-induced haze, we were like, haha, people will be like, you've lost the game.
2: And they do say that a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Which also, in hindsight, is a terrible name because we're just like, oh, and can you check the game? And everyone gets confused. Like, Are you referring to other games? Are you referring to the game? So I would say that one, we decided to play with the format just a bit in the sense of let us make it competitive. I'm going to preface this with this will generally only work in countries where you don't have public games, because a lot of this game then is a lot more about the social interactions, like the intergroup social interactions because you've got two groups, your group is divided into two teams basically. And a lot of the game comes down to how they interact with each other when they're competing, because they're in the same space. They're trying to finish all their puzzles first. They do split out into separate team rooms after an initial room that's shared. They split out into team rooms. They come back together at the end as well. And it's a lot of just... The puzzles, I would say, are solid, but I think a lot of where the difference comes in is in that social interaction between the two teams when you're going, haha, I'm going to spy on you, no, get out of my face, I'm going to slam the door in your face. We tell them no physical violence, but I'm just going to playfully shove you out of the way, things like that. And the trash talk is beautiful when it's between friends (laughs) and they know each other's limits.
1: So two teams are playing in the exact same room. Are there limited resources? Like, is there only one puzzle that can only be solved the one time? So if you've solved it, that prevents the other team from solving it. Is it something like that?
2: Yeah, there's a central item where both teams have to share this item, which is how you get that sort of interplay. Like, no, it's my turn. No, move out of the way. And then some of them try and hide stuff, but we actively discourage sabotage. So, yeah, it creates an interesting dynamic, the fact that the share an object, but it also adds to the fun of it.
3: Yeah. Also the fact that the puzzles you solve are the same, but they have different answers. The method of solving is the same. So that way they can also spy on each other or try and peek in, see what the other team is doing. Or when they're in the main room where they're all together, sometimes you'll just see people be very obvious about, oh my gosh, I found out how to work this out. And they're just standing there and it's very obvious what they're doing. And you're thinking, this is a dead giveaway to the other team, but... You do you, I guess.
2: And they did that. I've seen it many times. They look at it and and the other team's, oh, look at that. And the other team looks at it, oh. And then they get it, they enter it first, and then they win because the other team's just given away the answer.
1: In designing a competitive escape room, what were some of the key factors that you guys had to take into consideration? And I know you've touched on a few of them, like you make them take turns or you have to give out a rule of like no physical violence. But are there any other considerations that you guys had to really think of because this is competitive that you may not have to take into consideration with a normal escape room?
3: I think also you have to consider the dynamics at the end. I don't know how much I'm going to say, but you don't want people leaving with a sour taste in their mouth going, oh, I won, you guys suck, ha, ha, ha. And suddenly there's just like that sourness in the experience because one team won and the other team did not.
2: I don't mind if we say what sort of happens at the end. It's not really giving away too much.
3: We make them work together at the end because (laughs) there is a twist where it turns into them against the environment as opposed to PvP. We turn into PvE so that they can actually go out feeling like, oh, okay, we work together. You also have to account for the two teams just being, especially if they split the teams and one team is excellent and one team is terrible. (laughs) We try to balance it beforehand by warning them ahead of time, but sometimes it is what it is. And that's where also we rely a lot on our games masters. Because all our games are highly interactive. The games masters are always a character in the room via voiceover. So in that sense, it makes it a lot easier because we can then use them to balance the teams. It also makes it one of the harder games to run because you have to be very careful in how you balance them and how you're going to give a hint without giving a hint to the team that's falling way behind especially if they're refusing to ask for clues (laughs) and it's Mm. to do a lot with like how you announce stuff or what the other team has done what they've achieved all of that but it's a very fine line because you also have to be aware of where is the other team at with the puzzle they're working on what layer of the puzzle
1: Yeah. Balancing competitive games is really difficult, and especially when you're trying to account for one team completely snowballing over the other team. And I imagine it's quite difficult to do in an escape room and you only get the one shot to do it right.
0: Yes, skill gaps can be pretty wide for escape room teams, especially if you factor in really experienced escape room teams. I know we've played competitive escape rooms. Me and Lisi usually have played against each other and our other friends but we did play one where we were playing against a team of strangers and they showed up in the lobby very loud about how they were going to uh, wreck us and um, (laughs) we left and they were still in the room they never actually saw us we were just gone when when everything was over (laughs) wow i would have paid to see their faces afterwards
2: yes (laughs) (laughs) oh dear we never told them what the backstory was we just We let them be them. Yeah. That's the other thing with that. If the team that's winning does ask for a hint, we actually don't give them a hint. We just told that no. (laughs) Um, We tell that in advance because that would be quite unfair as well.
3: And I think that also, like you were saying, it didn't work as well because you were up against another team of strangers you didn't even know. Whereas Mm -hmm. generally the people who come are friend groups of friends and you would hope that things can only fall apart in so many ways.
0: That's been our typical experience in competitive games. That one was unique in that we were playing against strangers. But typically speaking, we've played against one another and Lisa and I have never played on the same team in a competitive escape room environment, and we're about evened against each other. We both know within about 30 seconds of the game starting which one of us is going to win, because we walk in the room and it's like, oh, this one is super mechanical. This one is, I'm going to smoke Lisa in this. Or we walk into (laughs) a game and I can see like lots of setup for logic puzzles and word puzzles, and I'm like, we already know the outcome here. Lisa's (laughs) going to annihilate me.
1: I love delving into the different mechanics of competitive escape rooms because they're always done in different ways. When we played the trust experiment that one was competitive but it had more of a social deduction aspect to it. So that was one way of doing a competitive room. I played one a couple months back called Battleship here in LA where you are all playing the same puzzles and whoever solves that puzzle, you unlock these cannonballs and then you use that to play Battleship like the old children's game. When we played that one team solved more puzzles got more cannonballs but my team managed to win because we actually won the final battle of battleship even though we had fewer cannonballs so there's like some fun ways to be able to even it out at the end still and i'm sure there's still other ways of doing competitive games
0: my big thing for competitive escape rooms is that I just want there to be some kind of designed interaction between the two rooms. That to me is the defining characteristic of a good competitive game is that it actually does something with the fact that there are two rooms of teams that are competing against one another. I don't love it when they're like two mirror copies. They have nothing to do with each other and each team goes in at the same time, plus or minus a second or two and the team that comes out first wins like. That kind of race just Mm -hmm. doesn't really do it for me, and I don't feel like that's actually a competitive escape room.
1: You guys have rooms with some other different mechanics as well. You have that one with the stage?
2: Yes.
3: It's called The Show Must Go On. I was pretty much inspired by the whole thing was the theater thing where there's a group trying to put on a play, and you've got to just help them because they are so amateur that everything is going wrong terribly and we wanted to try and see, hey, can we try and incorporate, say, like a audio play cross with the actual escape room thing? It would be nice to have live actors and everything, but obviously from a business sense, especially in Australia with wages, that was never going to happen. Like if you have more than one person running a game, you will lose money hand over fist. But with that one, we wanted to try, I guess, what if we go full on narrative <laughs> and also be make it linear because every single one of our rooms, we try to make easier rooms for beginners. We kind of epically fail every time somehow. I think it's because we build games we want to play. And then the next minute, it's, oh, this was for enthusiasts in the end, wasn't it?
1: With this game, I was given to understand that the narrative is there's a play going on, you're stagehands. And so you're trying to help these actors on stage. That's the backstory. There are no actors backstage, but that's what you're kind of hearing through this audio narrative.
2: Yeah, so we have basically some speakers with different uh, speaker sound coming from each uh, corner of the room, kind of thing. You hear what's going on upstairs. There's an actor walking across the stage. You can hear it like do 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 do, and we have some lighting matching it. So like there's a little spotlight where they're walking as well, just at that. And then there are certain parts where things happen, so you can see like the sun rising into a certain spot and paints the scene. And then something goes horribly wrong. The lighting rig falls down. Everything goes off. You're like, oh crap. Guys, downstairs, we need you to help fix up the lighting rig. And they have to pull on these certain ropes and stuff and get everything back to order. So every time something goes wrong upstairs, the people backstage slash under the stage, come on, okay, your job, help out. We divide it into two sort of sections, a point where the play is going on and they're supposed to stand there and listen. Most teams do. Some teams are a little bit trigger happy with the puzzles, so they're (laughs) always active. But the ones who uh, enjoy the experience the most usually sit, listen. And then when we turn the lights back on, they are told basically what puzzle is next, more or less.
1: So you guys turn all the lights off when you have the audio narration going on?
2: Uh, They're dimmed significantly, yes.
3: I think the main lights are off. There's LED lights in the ceiling that Aaron programmed this entire rig where you've got pretty much what he was saying, stuff like you see the sun rising there. You see the spotlight as people go across matching with the audio.
1: Yeah, that's the only way to get people to stop solving.
3: If you want them to actually listen to the narration,
1: it's got to make it pitch black.
2: (laughs) Remove all stimulus. Yes, we did that for one of our other rooms for the introduction because we found that people weren't actually listening at all. So we're just like, lights are off at the start. That's it. You listen.
0: We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing escape rooms and other immersive social outings. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor.
1: We're not the only ones who have gone global. In preparation for this episode, Morty's team has added tons of escape rooms and companies in Australia. They have over 150 companies with 213 locations covering over 760 games.
0: Lisa and I went to Australia on our honeymoon and loved traveling around and dropping in on some games. We would have loved to have Morty while we were touring around Melbourne and Adelaide and Sydney. So maybe next time would be fun.
1: And I love that they have reviews for each game, so it's easy to see which ones are recommended, whether they're going to be scary or family-friendly.
0: You can learn more at mortyapp.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details in the show notes. So you've done a licensed Comic-Con pop-up for DC. What can you tell us about that
2: experience? I can tell you a few days before you need to set up, don't accidentally cut the wires with a pair of metal things while everything's on because you'll short circuit it and then you'll be panicking for the next 20 minutes.
0: (laughs) That's a pro tip.
3: They came to us pretty last minute. So it was also a little bit of a scramble.
2: It was a scramble. Their initial request was for three rooms. We got them down to two. And uh, no, it's really enjoyable to work with IP content. Like the fact that you can take the pre existing universe, slash narrative, slash a storyline or whatever, and take aspects of it and make a room about that was actually really enjoyable. Like, for example, the cyborg character has like this little eye thing. It looks like he has like a laser in his eye or whatnot. So, we're talking like a Justice League game? Yeah, we just adapted aspects of the characters. Like for The Flash, we had some things like you had to move around and press things fast. For The Cyborg, we had a projector coming out of his eye and he projected this thing out of the wall and that was part of that. For Aquaman, we used elemental themes. So you had to use water, ice, that sort of stuff to progress in one puzzle. We basically just take the stories, take the narrative, take the aspects of the movie and just meld it into a puzzle somehow and it flowed from there.
3: And you had to design much simpler puzzles because this was the general public. It was at a convention where it could be everyone and anyone. They were playing with other random people. It was like more of a public game. And strictly from an operational standpoint, it was incredibly stressful because we decided last minute, which was a terrible idea in hindsight, we were like, because I think someone said, oh no, you can't make people line up for two hours to do this thing.
0: It's Comic-Con. Yes, you can.
3: <laughs> yes, in hindsight. Yes, you can. And you should. Because when you try to hybridize it with like a Disney FastPass style thing, it creates a lot of stress for everybody and does not work that well.
0: There's a reason why... Theme parks had to spend so much money to try and figure out how to make FastPass systems work, and they still don't work all that well, even with all of the money and scale and
2: everything that's been put into them. Yeah, so imagine hacking that together in a day and just seeing the how night it works. before. <laughs> that sounds stressful. Yeah, well, yeah, it wasn't the best idea.
0: Next level is located in the Sydney CBD, which is Central Business District, not the other CBD what portion of your business has come from corporate clients
2: during the pandemic like nothing from corporates at all but once we reopened and they've given them like a few months of getting used to it getting back to the office i think because we just ended with the financial year we had quite a few end of financial year sort of party bookings i'd say maybe 30 to 40 percent around this time and the rest is made up of school holiday groups that just came through because the school holidays just ended so a good chunk yeah, being in the CBD come from corporates and maybe just friends who are professionals in the area. So it, it, it's probably a mix of those two. And that's pretty high, actually, I reckon, maybe even higher if you had the friend groups who work in the city.
0: Do you do much to adjust for corporate groups?
3: It's why we've got games that are deliberately designed for larger groups, just because Mm. corporates, they're always going to push it. You say, my max is, I don't know, eight. They're like, but can we put in 10 anyway? Yeah. And you're like, no. (laughs) So it's designing rooms that are suitable for large groups because they're multilinear, because you can split out early on, but you still need communication between the different areas or, like our competitive game was very specifically designed for large groups because you are in two teams and you're still interacting a lot throughout the game, but you've got your own puzzles to solve. And we found that designing rooms specially made for large groups, you know, as opposed to we're going to shove 10 people into our room that was not designed for it anyway, has been really good for corporates, honestly. Actually having
2: two copies of Merrick's Libris Room as well was one of the best things we ever did because corporates are like, oh, we want to have two rooms the same and we want to race against each other, but it's just a little bit too big for our other rooms. So we can get like 20 or 12 in each of those because it's a large format and be the two copies and so they're like, they love that.
0: I've heard that from a lot of owners that they have, they make two copies so that they can serve corporate groups well.
1: Is that the competitive room? No. It's not. Th- okay. So you have the competitive room, which fits large groups, and then you also have a different escape room that you have made two copies of so you can run them concurrently. Yes.
2: It was also a good business decision because it was the first room we set up at the new location. Mm -hmm. So getting it out quicker as we have to pay rent, like the quicker we can get it out, the better it is. And so that worked out quite well in that sense too. So building two copies.
0: Once you're making one, making a second one is rather affordable, relatively
2: speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Just double up on the production of the... Yeah, the things that you make and just, yeah, put it in.
1: It's not that common. I don't see that many escape rooms where they have two of the exact same room.
0: I wouldn't say it's especially common, but I've actually seen it a bunch of times. And it's reasonably common in cities that get a lot of, at least before the
2: pandemic, probably building up again now. But like Mission Escape does that in New York. I actually think we're one of the only, like there might be only two in Sydney that do this with two copies. I don't even know one other.
3: There was one other that did it, but I think they've now been bought out by another company who may be changing it up.
0: A lot of the owners I've spoken to who regularly serve corporate clients have told me that their corporate teams tend to be some of the worst performing teams that they have. You might not want to confirm or deny this. Blink twice if it's true.
1: Leanne's got something in her eye.
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> suddenly everyone is very allergic in Australia.
1: I mean, I got to say, like for a lot of these people, it's probably their first time ever doing anything like this. So, I mean, I wasn't great the first time I played a room either. <laughs>
2: There's actually a quite a big range. You notice that certain companies are better than others as well. It depends on the type of people. Sometimes you get the management types come in and they're not really hands-on, just more like delegate. And it's really interesting to watch that mechanic work out in the escape room. And uh, you get a bunch of people from, say, an IT sort of background or some sort of a bit more of the nerdy type of people, and they blitz through it like that. You get a range.
0: The dynamic that I think is playing out with a lot of these corporate groups is that you have managers who are really bad at what they do and they foster dynamics of fear and they make environments where it's not okay for employees to be wrong and they think that they're watching their team play and they're going to judge them and see how good they are in the escape room. But the truth is that they're going to do poorly because they have been socialized into a culture of it's not okay to be wrong and escape rooms are all about being wrong. They're all about experimenting and freely trying stuff. And if it works, cool. And if it doesn't, fine, pivot really quickly and move on to the next thing. So I think that what is really at play here is I think it's more unique to corporate groups than any regular first-time group of people, because I think
2: that there are power structures involved. That's an interesting point, actually, because we do also notice that children groups are Better than you'd expect because they're willing to try everything, literally everything. Mm-hmm. And you usually get the parents coming in just being like, no, don't do that. What are you doing? Don't try it this way. And then the parents are usually way off. So I think the similar mechanic with like, with, yeah, like you said, with corporates, if the staff are scared of being wrong. And I think that's actually a, not a, a good reflection of the corporate industry, if that's, if that's how their staff have been socialized.
1: I bet it's also difficult to want to jump in and take over or to start looking over someone else's work because that's always a weird, delicate thing of let me double check. Are you sure you, are you sure you did that right? And it's a weird thing. Sometimes people get offended or you're afraid of offending them. So you don't want to offer to double check things, but if you're experienced enough, you've learned even with locks countless times, I've looked at a lock and I'm like, Oh, you're not inputting it on the line. Like the line on this lock is here to the side, you know, instead of on the front.
0: From my vantage point, that is good team dynamics in any team, whether you're building something to sell it or designing software or just you're in an escape room. Having a team where you trust each other enough to go and check one another and to not be offended when people go and back you up and recognize that for what it is. is The everybody... correct answer is
1: always thank you for checking my work.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, recognizing that as good teamwork and a sign of trust, amongst people that you are confident enough to let someone check your work and you are okay with being wrong. You are okay with experimenting. And that's what I really think makes for a good team. And I don't care where that team is.
1: Now, I have a question. Before corporate groupings, do you guys think it may help to give a little extra talk beforehand of keep these things in mind? This is how to best succeed
3: when playing an escape room? I think I would say our GMs also do judge the team. Like They're reading the team. And generally, in the lobby already, you can get a good read of, oh, this is going to be one of those walkthrough teams, as we call them, where you are literally walking them through. Or they're going to do okay. Sometimes with their first timers, then they will definitely add things like, this room is multilinear. It means you could be working on multiple things at once. It means that you should be doing this or feel free to move things around. You can't ruin puzzles by moving stuff. They will give them all that extra if they think that it's going to be trouble. But the good thing about being a very interactive Voice of God system as well is that we found that our games masters can then read them and adapt on the fly while they're inside the game to just give more subtle this is actually narration, ha, ha, ha. It's all part of the game, but nudging them along as they go and they can adapt depending on are they starting to get into this and getting the idea or are they really not and I will maybe help them split up more. It does rely a lot on the Games Master and their ability to read the groups, I would say, as well. So our Games Masters are a very big part of that experience.
0: I think that's the answer, because if this corporate group is coming in and they're embroiled in a toxic culture 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, it's a really bad company. It's like when a kid has no structure at home and the teacher is supposed to go and help them learn how to be a good student or something like that with their six hours a day of class. It's not going to happen. Your game master is not going to go and correct totally broken team dynamics, but they can adapt with it.
1: So I have heard that one of your trademarks is having a lot of humor in your games, which I love. And we think it's really underused in a lot of escape room design. So how do you guys go about creating jokes that will land in an escape room environment?
2: Oh, (laughs) We, it turns out we've used, like used some references before and it turns out as the room gets older, like the references don't seem to hit as much. I'm sure you all know of that famous video by uh, Rick Astley. We use that a little bit.
1: Oh, uh, Rick and, rolling.
2: Yeah. We may or may not use that. And some people don't get it. It's just not a thing that they are aware of. And I'm like, oh, some of the references we make that are little jokes are from a Games Master interaction. That's just the humor that the Games Master generates on the fly. Like it's more like stand up comedy in a sense. For example, you say to the person there, Hero Steven realized that stain on the wall was in fact just a stain on the wall. And most people were like, "Ah, yeah, okay, I see that now.
1: Do you guys ever write down set jokes
3: or set replies for your GMs? We do have scripts. So there is a basic script, definitely, that they go off of and that also already has humour in it. I think our humour does range from, it can be anywhere as something just like that sarcastic dry humour to one of our games is just really juvenile poop fart humour because we are juvenile like that. You just hear this groaning and farting and (laughs) and and brown stain across the ceiling. That Um, one still makes me
2: cringe actually.
3: It cracks me up. So, mm. Okay, you know who the juvenile one is here. Um. I mean, I, I always
1: think it's fun whenever you see poop in an escape room in a litter box. I've done one where there's a giant mound of dinosaur poop that you have to dig your hands into and figure out what this dinosaur last ate. Well,
2: that's, that's actually quite cool.
1: Yes. In the
0: bonus episode... I'll tell a story about poop in an escape game. It was not part of the game, but it's a good story. (laughs) We'll save that for the Patreon bonus episode.
3: Even more reason to subscribe.
0: Leah, and since you brought up ceilings, I have heard that you have an issue with the ceilings at next level escape. Talk to me about your ceiling envy.
3: Leaf A just giving away all our deep dark secrets here. (laughs) We have low ceilings. Just look, we're in the CBD. We were looking for a place and it's very unaffordable here, but we did find one in a basement. Everything else was really great, but the ceilings are low. To
2: be fair, they're standard office size ceilings, but yes, our tallest staff can touch the roof. That's still a bit lower than you'd like.
3: And so, you know, sometimes you're just like, man, you look at warehouses you look at people who have entire three four meter high spaces to work with and you get some serious envy because you can do so much more with that space our newest game is going to be set in a forest and all i could think of is if we had four meter ceilings (laughs) and proper canopies and lighting and you could have an entire rig up that we definitely do not have a space for an entire rig that -hmm. would be amazing because we've also been thinking a lot more about especially after last recon actually like a lot of the talks were excellent and just thank you how much more storytelling direction signposting everything can you do with lighting you know how do you point people how do you use it to direct them as opposed to there is a note in the room or there is yet another sound cue because no one likes or listens to audiologues and what are other ways that you can direct them and i was just like man we had an entire theater style rig that would be amazing I mean, it sounds like with at least one of your games, it's playing to those strengths. Like in your game,
1: the show must go on. It seems like having a low ceiling is actually to your advantage because if you are playing at being stage hands underneath the stage where this play is going on, that makes it a lot more realistic having those low ceilings and the sound effects that you could put on right above.
2: Yeah, it it does, but the room is basically designed for the space and not the other way around sort of thing. So we we just make did with what we had more or less. And we do that with our other rooms. We do use the ceiling in in one of the other rooms or both the other rooms, actually, but it's in a subtler way. It's a small way. Like uh, we can't do anything too extravagant, unfortunately.
0: I've heard that our mutual friends, Danny and Bill from Escape This Podcast may be stars in a way of the show must go on.
3: Yes, we reached out to them and they did an amazing job, might I add, like way beyond my expectations doing the voices for two of the characters in there, which is really funny because they're like the two leads, Romeo and Juliet, but the actors hate each other with a passion. (laughs) Which, again, it's that kind of humor that we mind. There's contradicting things. And so when you just hear them hate on each other, when they add their own little sound effects of moving around and like trying to avoid each other during a kiss scene, it was (laughs) incredible. And I get the audio and I'm like, I hardly need to edit any of this. It's almost good to go. We just need to make it surround.
0: That's awesome. They're so fantastic. taking a moment to thank our sponsor, the World Escape Room Championship, a global competition for Escape Room players. This year, it is happening virtually, so everyone can compete for free. The elimination round is happening on the 5th of November, and the top 100 teams will go on to compete in the grand finale on the 26th of November. This year's winners each receive a Nintendo Switch Lite. One of the things that I really appreciate about the ER champ competition is that They really are trying to serve content that escape room players will love. They're trying to put together an event that has strong puzzles and also has its own narrative, which is a detail that they didn't need to do, but I love that they're doing it.
1: That's true. You could play this just for the pleasure of it. Even if you're not into the competitive aspect, you don't have to. You could just sign up and play these amazing games for free.
0: And these games really are being made by people who are escape room enthusiasts themselves. The folks from Lock Me are behind it. They have been a tentpole of the Polish escape room scene really since the beginning. They love playing these games and they love making this event. Gather your team of two to four competitors. You must each create your own accounts on the ER Champ website. Whether you're in it for fun or you're in it to win it, I wish you luck. You can learn more at erchamp.com. Details in the show notes. Aaron, you mentioned earlier that before Next Level Escape, you were working as an economist for the Reserve Bank of Australia.
2: Yes. Do you have any thoughts on how escape rooms might endure a recession? I thought you were going to ask me about the interest rates, because they're going up at the moment. <laughs> so I've thought about this a bit, actually, because obviously with COVID, there was risk of recession as well. Uh, luckily, there was enough government stimulus to keep escape rooms in Australia for the most part going, which was good. However, the side effect was, it seems, there's a bit of inflation now, and yeah, there is a potential recession. In terms of escape rooms, I think, at least I think that the good ones will weather the storm. We might see a few of the less popular ones drop out, but I think People generally want to play experiences, like maybe they'll cut back on an overseas holiday if they're in tight financial situation. Maybe they'll go somewhere locally. This might be an alternative. The only issue I can see is that escape rooms are more of a premium cost sort of experience, which may see a slowdown in demand. But I think because people will be looking for ways to make themselves happier in these situations that we might be able, we might be okay. (laughs) At least I hope we will. That's exactly
0: My read on it is that I think that in some ways they may benefit from people not traveling quite so much and being just local amusement.
2: There might be a surge in people trying to go overseas just before things go bad because travel has been off the cards for two years. Yeah, that's true. could go either way.
1: How is escape room pricing in Australia or at least Sydney?
2: So you're looking at about for a two person group, maybe just under a dollar a minute.
3: I think it's 50 to 60 dollars per person for a two-player group, but yeah, a lot of Australia. companies are finding that they're losing money on that, especially in two-player groups, because wages here, we have award rates. We have minimum wage. You're talking, like, say, for a casual role. Your minimum wage is already starting at generally 28 dollars or so an hour. Your minimum wage is 28 dollars an hour.
0: A quick note, 28 Australian dollars currently converts to about 18 or 19 dollars US. It fluctuates a bit.
2: It's casual rate, so that includes some loading to account for the fact they don't have sick leave and stuff like that.
3: And they don't have paid leave either.
2: It's reasonably high compared to, say, the US, I think.
3: Which is why a lot of skate rooms here are now having to look at going to One games master running multiple games, two games or so. It's not ideal where we can't do that. Literally the design of our rooms prevents us from doing that. But a lot of escape rooms here are looking at that just because by the time you factor in the wages, by the time you factor in the fact you have to pay superannuation on top of that, which is like add 10% to whatever you're paying them. By the time you factor in, you've got to pay, you know, the taxes, which unlike the US, it's not here's the price and then you add tax on top. All prices are tax inclusive. You lose money on two-player games if you're not really going at 50, 60 per person.
2: Yeah, and some escape rooms have actually implemented like four-person minimum or three-person minimum sort of thing, so we're getting more of that as well. Luckily, with our corporate rooms, we tend to average about maybe over five person per game, actually. So it turns out we don't do as badly, but I've heard that other escape rooms have a bit of a lower average, like three to four sometimes.
3: So it's like that finding that balance where I think others balance by having one GM run multiple games, whereas we have to then, again, because our design, there's no way we can. So then we have to look at how do we get more people into games? How do we focus on larger group games to actually make this a viable business? Yeah, it's tough.
0: Yeah, I don't think that two-player games at 60 minutes a pop is the future. I know that there are a whole bunch of listeners who are going to be very sad to hear that. Start making the escape room friends is my advice.
2: So you think the solution is just four-person minimum games, or?
0: What I think the reasonable solution is is to charge the equivalent of four people for two, and then scale up for three, you still pay for four. And then once you hit four, you end up in reasonable pricing territory. I think that is a fair way to do it for everybody involved.
1: People are expecting prices from seven years ago before we had a bunch of expensive tech and expensive scenery in rooms and rooms have progressed so much and prices have not. And it's just got to happen. Like You can't expect theme park level experiences and you're only paying like $20 a person. It's just it's not reasonable for you guys as creators and owners.
2: I've also seen some lower quality rooms like charging the high quality price as well. And it it goes both ways as
0: well. David has
1: long argued for more stratification in prices.
0: But it is a problem that escape room pricing is not inherently an indicator of quality and that there are some really bad companies that charge premium rates and the general consumer has no way to know whether this company charging extra money and claiming that they're premium since everybody lists their website as the best escape room in insert city
1: look for the review on ria that's how you'll know (laughs) (laughs) Leanne, we were excited to hear that you just got a book deal for Two Can Play That Game, which is coming out in April of 2023. So congratulations. Thank you. And we wanted to know what are some of the similarities and differences when it comes to writing for escape rooms versus
3: for a book? So it's very different in the sense that when you come to an escape room, I think you have to focus a lot more on environmental storytelling. So with a book, you can get into a lot of interiority, a lot of in the character's head, things progress. You can add a lot of subtlety too. That's a very big thing. You can put little breadcrumbs, little hints that then work up to something bigger in the end, work with really big themes, explore them in detail. You definitely cannot do that with an escape room. And I think a lot of then the storytelling in an escape room comes down to, you. obviously you have your main through line of what is the story that I'm progressing through, what is the objective, what am I doing here? But then you also have the, okay, what are little bits of story I can pepper throughout the environment instead that they're not necessary in order to solve the puzzle. But then how can I tell a story through just how this particular clue is written or through what this particular puzzle is? How can I tell a story through that instead? And balancing the giving a story with the people who just I don't give a crap. I just want to puzzle to the end. And yeah, you've just got to be a lot more in your face. <laughs>
1: I think it's a real art form to telling a good story that makes sense narratively, that makes sense with the puzzles. You're right. People don't want to read. I don't mind listening to an audio narration as much, but then you fall into the problem of your friends aren't listening and they're just trying to solve the puzzles. And it's really quite difficult. And I like that you realize that it needs to be done through the environment just by picking up the stuff, looking at it, finding out the storyline through the gameplay itself.
3: Yep. So like with our artifact room, which I think is still one of the ones that I still like the best in terms of how we balance that, a lot of the story just comes through really small things. There is a tag on a backpack that's like, this belongs to Danielle Jackson and keep out O'Neill. And you already start to get the sense of the dynamics between the characters just from that. And just the little small things that you pepper in where one of the puzzles just involves official document about, do not put frozen food into the samples freezer. And someone else replying, no, do not put samples into my frozen food freezer. And (laughs) conveying the characters that way while still using it as part of a puzzle. That's cute. I like that.
0: Lisa and I had gone to Australia on our honeymoon back in 2016. I think just a few months before you had opened. And while that wasn't really an escape room trip, we did play a couple of games in Sydney and a couple in Melbourne. The one that we loved the most on that trip was in memoriam from the Enigma room. And I don't know the full story. I think you folks have absorbed enigma room in some way what's the story there
2: yeah so the original owners i guess they wanted to move on with other aspects of their lives and i think we were like this is a really good room so we approached them to take it over uh so we did this was probably about a year or two before covid and um yeah we kept the rooms running for a bit in memoriam was definitely one of our favorites there it's the mix of narrative and like stories you go through was actually really it was one of the early rooms i played too it was one of the ones that sort of instilled that love of escape rooms it was just it was a really good one it was a really touching game so are you still running that or is it gone unfortunately it was only a two room venue so financially it wasn't most viable and as we got into basically that that was the end of that one the lease was running out as well so unfortunately it is no longer
0: maybe we can talk a little bit about that game and spoil a little bit in the bonus episode because i would love to relive that one a little bit with you if you're open to it we certainly
2: can
1: yep sure Let's spread the love a little bit. Could you guys share with us some of your current favorite escape room games in Australia that you did not create?
3: How could you not mention? The Cypher Room is another company in Sydney whose games, they were at Recon as well. Their set design is just incredible for a not multi-million dollar company. Because look, let's preface it with you cannot beat people who have millions to spend but they put so much love and care into every detail of this set the design the flow their puzzles as well and i don't think this is going to spoil too much just they have very cool endings especially in their new location they've made a lot of space they are part of the reason for my ceiling envy
2: (laughs) pepper's toy shop is my favorite
3: oh i like that name
0: That was featured in their talk at Recon also. There's a lot of footage of it. It looks great.
3: They have four meter high ceilings and they use the vertical space so well.
2: So much ceiling envy.
3: Are there any other rooms that you guys recommend?
2: Yeah, of course. There's one called The Forgotten Sun, I think, by Expedition, which is really high up there. They have really good set design and really good puzzles that sort of fit the narrative as you go through. That's also one of my favorites in Sydney.
3: I thought Social Escape, they've got one. I really actually enjoyed their Bank Vault one. There was some nice puzzles. They also took on, there are additional objectives after seeing our Ex Libris game, but they've implemented it differently in that you can do additional things pretty early on and everything's just like super labeled so that you know okay this is an additional thing but they've implemented it in a fun way it is almost impossible to get done if you're doing it for the first time i would say but it's possible if you're incredible so there's a reviewer who's a friend of ours here scott mernon he's done a lot of games with his crew almost all of them together and so they were so close to completing that one so i know it's possible But it's very hard. And that was a lot of fun, actually.
1: You mean it's impossible to finish the game or that they have like
3: extra tasks that you need to complete? The extra tasks, the game with the extra tasks. You know, it's possible because I know like at least one group almost got there, would have done it if they hadn't missed seeing one certain item in a place.
2: That said, we failed because we were too stubborn to ask for a hint, because if you ask for a hint, you don't get the extra bonus cash prize at the end. (laughs) In terms of other honorable mentions, I would say that there are a few, as Mission Escape does very good set designs and Scram do very good rooms as well. We've played one of their fear rooms, which is scary, but good.
3: Yes. Scary in all the best ways, Where there's actual proper scares. They use the Games Masters very well in that game.
2: What comes next for you in Next Level? We're building a new room at the moment. We have to finish that first. Leanne mentioned it was forest themed with definitely has a big story focus and we're still trying to basically blend the story in with the puzzles as well as is always the challenge. So once we get that going...
3: And I think this is also the first time we're working with actual set designers, mainly because we're also on time constraints at this point. So we're designing the game, but we're working very closely with them to be like, okay, this needs to look like this and this, and it needs to open in this way so that Aaron can install the electronics afterwards as well, and a lot of that. So it's very different to how we usually work, which is we make it, we like adapt and tweak as we go along and see what works and doesn't. So that's vaguely terrifying, to be honest, also because... This kind of mechanic, I guess I will say it is a kind of loopy thing. And we've just not seen it at least done here before. So we're just unsure of will it work specifically in this aspect? Will it work with the puzzles we're using? Will it be too confusing? How will the flow go? And hoping that we don't have to change too much because we're not making the props ourselves at this point.
2: Yeah, I will say this is definitely a business decision to get somebody to help us make the bigger set items because our skills are limited in terms of fabrication of epic trees and stuff like that. So we want to make it durable as well. And the fact that we have help to do this means we can get it out a few months earlier, maybe half a year earlier, which is a large amount of time of where the room, like the money generated from an extra half a year of Being open is definitely worth it. Yeah. In terms of future expansion, though, we want to get a new location with bigger ceilings and potentially use some of the sort of mechanics that we've learned are really good, like uh, the game styles that we've learned are really good and make a revamped or spruced up new theme version of some of them, like maybe an Liberus Mark II. Sounds great.
3: Where can people find you on social media? On Instagram, at just at Next Level Escape. We are also on Facebook. Again, just search up Next Level Escape. And we theoretically have a Twitter account that has not really been used ever. So it's there, but we don't do much with it at all.
2: So follow us on Twitter. It's
0: sleeping.
1: We'll have all the links in the show notes. (laughs)
0: Leanne, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. This has been great.
3: It's been a really fun chat.
0: The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media and brought to you by roomescapeartist.com, your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. Hi folks, it's that time again, you know the one, where we ask you to back us on our Patreon. Now, I know that everyone has Patreon request fatigue. I have it too. And I know that you're used to hearing that it takes a lot of work to make this content and that the money goes a long way, but it really is true. All of the things that we're doing take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money. And the support that we get from our Patreon community is invaluable. If you have the money available and love what we're doing, please, do consider backing us on Patreon. It means more than I think you realize. Thanks.
1: If you have been enjoying the content on Reality Escape Pod, David and I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. It really goes a long way towards helping us market the podcast and growing this podcast.
0: We'd like to take a moment to thank our highest tier sponsors Derek Tam, Breakout Games, Jonathan Driscoll, Pat Tupin, Rex Miller, Paula Swan, Scott Olsen, and Byron Delmonico.
3: In our game, the show must go on. The entire game is about a play where everything's going wrong and you're fixing things. In one of our very first games, We have a blood machine.
2: This is my pride and joy. It's lovely. It's extravagant. You turn it on. This blood gurgles up it. You see it through this tube and you're like,
3: oh my God, look at the blood. It's going up into the roof. This is so awesome. And then there was a point where the players turned it on. I did not notice it had been turned on. And... It just is just pumping away. So we're going on with the play when suddenly they turn, they look at the blood machine, just, oh, did something else go wrong? And it turned out because they'd kept it on for so long and there was a lot of pressure, it had literally started leaking all the liquid out.
2: Imagine a big puddle of red, gooey liquid all over the floor, and they're like, oh my god, this is so immersive! <laughs> 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 luckily this was just before a transition where they have to go into the back room and lock themselves in there so we sent them back there and then i frantically ran in with a mop and was like oh, okay i'll clean this up and they knew but they're none the wiser
1: yeah that's
3: supposed to happen. <laughs> exactly.
2: It has happened again since, unfortunately.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the GM sends them to the back, and there's like all this thing that happens. The GM's talking, and someone else will be like, mop it up while they're there, quick. And they're like, it's all part of the game, obviously.
2: It's, it turns out having a room where everything goes wrong is actually really good if stuff actually goes wrong, because <laughs> nobody has a clue. They're like, oh, it's just fine. This is normal.